It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. For years, Apple has claimed its devices are the most secure in the world, poo-pooing the PC and Android phones for being as clean as a public swimming pool. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I am no one. Okay, PC, what are you doing? Listen, friend, it's not very safe for me right now, you understand? There's a lot of spyware out there. It sneaks into your system, follows you wherever you may go. In uh, fact, take these. No, no, no. They'll keep you safe. PC, honestly, I don't need them. Really, I'm good. I run Mac OS X, so I don't have to worry about your spyware and viruses. You, you take them. But just this week, Motherboard's very own Lorenzo Franceschi Bicherai reported on what is being described as one of the biggest security flaws of Apple products exploited by hackers ever. And it could have affected you. He's on the latest episode to talk about this and the year so far in Mac exploits. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. So, Lorenzo, you're back for a second week in the row as the premiere interview because you're a premiere man with a lot of scoops and a lot of uh, interesting reporting in the cybersecurity infosec world. And this one is pretty... It's an interesting story in that, uh, as you know, and you've, you've discussed many times on this show, hacking Apple products is really, really difficult or, you know, generally pretty difficult as, as, as most as compared to other devices like Android, etc. And basically, you found out that basically the biggest security flaw in Apple product history was exploited by hackers. So why don't you just walk me through? First off, what's what's this exploit mm-hmm. and who was affected? Yeah, so a group of researchers recently discovered that there was a really bad bug in macOS, so the operating system that's used by all Apple computers that allowed hackers to essentially bypass all security mechanisms on the Mac and install malware on, on targets. And all the targets needed to do was double-click on a file that looked like you know, they look like it could be anything. It could be a PDF, could be an app. Uh, but in reality, this this was a malware. So was it an email? Was it an email phishing campaign? Or was this something that was just sort of like pre-installed? No, it was, yeah, it could be phishing by email. It could be researchers said that it could also be spread by uh, poisonous search results. So like hackers would pay to get, uh, you know, search, search results high up on Google uh, for like fake websites that would then deliver the malware instead of whatever the the user was looking for. Wow. And yeah, what's interesting here is that the the bug allowed uh, these hackers to bypass stuff like gatekeeper, file, file quarantine, app notarization requirements, which are all like security mechanisms that Apple has introduced in the last few years. And they generally work pretty well. And they're designed to stop random files downloaded from the internet uh, from running on Mac. Uh, usually this means that when you install, when you download something from the internet that it's not in the app store, Apple flags it and says, are you sure you want to do this? This is downloaded from the internet. And you know, you can click yes and uh, keep going. But with thanks to this bug, in this case, the malware would not even pop up that message. And uh, and yeah, and it turns out that actually there were hackers exploiting this. This was not just a theoretical bug. Um, one of the researchers I spoke to found that it, it had been used at least since January, early January of this year, 
by a cybercrime group that pushes uh, sort of like adware, malware for advertising, which doesn't sound too bad. And, you know, in, in theory, if you get hacked by something like this, then you kind of got lucky because it could have been worse. But what, what makes me think, like what I suspect is that if someone like that, you know, like a malvertising group knew about this bug, it's possible that others did as well. And by others did as well. I mean, what would this kind of what would this kind of bug allow you to do if you were able to exploit it? And who sort of has an interest in doing that? Yeah, I mean, the bug. If you were if you convince someone to double click on your fake you know fake app or uh, malicious PDF that included this bug, then you could take control of their whole computer because uh, the the bug allowed the malware to also bypass uh, security mechanisms that. Um, sort of uh, isolate apps from each other. So technically, not like some most of the times, an app shouldn't be able to see all the files on your computer. But in this case, the malware was able to. So yeah, it could be. You know, there's no evidence of this. Uh, I don't know this, but it's not hard to imagine that this bug could have been found by others. Uh, you know, like nation states, by agencies, law enforcement agencies. Again, we don't know, but. It's possible. So I think one thing that, that is really worth discussing here is just how hard it is to break Apple products and how when they do happen, it's a, it's a big deal because the, you know, the usership is, is then obviously potentially can be, you know, can be, can be used by a malicious actor. So this one in particular, I mean, like, do you think it was known for a, like for a long time or... I mean, I know, I know it was, they think it goes back to January 2020, but how long could this have existed? This could have existed for years. Um, you know, we don't know how long people have known about this. And by people, I mean hackers. But yeah, this was part of macOS for a few years. So who knows? Uh, maybe this was part of a, the arsenal of some spy agency. That being said, this is not the best way to hack someone without being... A little bit noisy because you have to get them to double click on something. So it's you know it's not like a silent or invisible exploit and hack. Uh, but you know it depends if you're North Korea or another like spy agency that doesn't have super highly skilled hackers, then this probably could be good enough. And you know at the end of the day, if it does the job, then it's good enough. You don't need to you don't need to be the most sophisticated Stux, Stuxnet like exploit. Now, I know we've talked about this before in the past, but I guess what what is sort of the status right now of hackers' abilities to break Apple products? Because do, is it something that we're seeing more and more of? Or is it, you know, is it, can Apple still sort of claim that, you know, the same sort of mantle that it did, say, five or 10 years ago, and they said, you know, Android products or, or PCs are much more vulnerable than our products. Do you think now, you know, there, there's a bit of a of a catch-up going on between hackers and Apple? There's definitely a catch-up going on because, you know, for the main reason, for the simple reason that Macs are getting more ubiquitous, even in among uh, companies and corporations. So if you target, if you want to target like people that have a lot of money or companies that have a lot of money, then it makes sense to target Mac um, and to answer your question, I think we need to make a distinction. You know, one thing is iOS, so, you know, the iPhone's operating system, and one thing is macOS. 
I think iOS is still the golden standard in terms of security. And I think it's fair for Apple to say that they're still the best there. In terms of macOS, we're starting to see some worrying signs that this is not, that it's not as good as it used to be. And, you know, maybe it's just that hackers are more interested in it because more people use it. Maybe it's because Apple is not really being able to keep up with their standards. But we have seen a few examples lately of malware in the wild targeting Mac computers. Uh, Earlier this year, a company called Red Canary found some malware called Silver Sparrow uh, that another security company said it had detected on 30,000 computers, which is, you know, not that many, but that's, I mean, that's a lot. And this is, again, another sort of a cybercrime gang that uses that use this malware to install adware. So again, nothing that it's incredibly dangerous. But again, if these people are able to hack Macs, then probably the pros are also doing it. So yeah, I think it's fair to say that Mac, especially, you know, I think there was that famous ad campaign that Apple put out with the Windows guy and the Mac guy, and the guy says, oh yeah, Mac doesn't have viruses. That's, you know, that has never been true to a certain extent, and it's definitely not true right now. And do you want to explain that a little bit in terms of why it was in the past, I guess, less vulnerable machines than PCs? Because I think, you know, it's important to to point out for people who are listening that it wasn't necessarily just because Mac created really good, strong code. It was also because there just wasn't as many of them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, hackers go where where the money is. They go where they can make the biggest buck with the smallest investment. So for a long time, and you know, to a certain extent, it's still true, targeting Windows computers makes more sense because there's more, more of them. Uh, the fact that they include a lot of old code because they need to be compatible with a lot of uh, old uh, apps that Microsoft has been putting out for years makes them very complex, uh, full of a lot of bugs. So, and, you know, you can do something like ransomware, uh, where you hit like thousands of computers with one piece of malware. It, on Mac, that's harder because of how the, the Mac, the operating system is, is designed, the security mechanisms that it has, it just doesn't, it's not that easy to do. But as I said, like there are more and more companies that are using Macs for their employees. So it does make sense to target Macs, uh, and and even like in terms of consumers, there's more and more people that have Macs, so there's more of more money to be made targeting and hacking Mac Macs. Now, if we're just going to stare into the crystal ball of the future of 2021, do you think? I mean, this is completely speculative, but are we going to see some more some more Apple zero days, some more Apple flaws out there that are being taken advantage of? Is this the year where it really <laughs> where you, we see Apple machines become less and less, you know, the, the, the top used product by everyone from the hipster to the, you know, the HR tech professional and everybody's uh, company. Yeah. I think we're going to see more like, you know, it's only been four months and we've already seen three, three types of Mac malware in the wild. So I think we're going to see more and, and maybe finally some nation state too. Um, I think it's also, uh, I think also it's worth talking about something else like i think a lot of uh, a lot of the re- 
like a big reason why we don't see a lot of uh, Mac malware is that there aren't that many companies looking for them. You know, having an antivirus software on Macs is a pretty new thing. A lot of people still don't have them. So, you know, the reason why we saw, we've seen so many Windows viruses and malware is because there's been antivirus for Windows forever. And virtually all Windows computers come with an antivirus product. Uh, so I, it's possible that on Mac, we just we just haven't seen them because nobody's been looking. Only in the last few years, we've seen companies target uh, target Mac users with antivirus software. Obviously, Apple is not going to come out and say, oh yeah, we've detected, I don't know how many malware in the last year. They're just going to you know, do their job in silence as they usually do. Just as a pure piece of uh, the- theory, <laughs> I would say the nation state that probably has the most Apple exploits uh, and-, and flaws that it can then use to hack uh, targets, I would say it's probably the NSA. <laughs> well, they probably have the most uh, exploits about anything, right? Exactly. But especially a product that's you know owned and operated from California. Yeah, it's possible. We're definitely not going to find out about those uh, those exploits, unfortunately. No, those are being those are being guarded somewhere deep in Los Alamos, right? Yeah, something like that. All right. Well, Lorenzo, thank you for uh, for another heartwarming episode of Cyber. Always here to make people more paranoid. All right. Bye. 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 Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Jason, welcome back. It's been a while. You had to like have I have I been on in twenty? Yes, you have. I, I guess I was You've on. Been a bunch. I was on. Uh, I know, but I was on a bunch in a row, and then I disappeared. Then you you sent me back to the blog mines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a little like a little troll. I sent you back to the mines. Yeah. Well, how's it been? We still we still making this podcast. Still, like, what's going yeah, it's on? It's still happening. <laughs> That's We've good. That's it. good to hear. I've been I've been listening. It's a, I'm a I'm a fan. <laughs> Lorenzo's been you know he's been doing a lot of pinch hitting, as you would as you would refer to it. Your baseball fan. Yeah, it's baseball season, baby. Are you happy? How are the Nats doing? I'm an Orioles fan. Okay, I I, I was a temporary Nats fan for my family and for my dad, oh, for my dad and my sister. Oh wow! Yeah, ba- band, fair weather bandwagon in a big way. Um, no kidding. Because I was gonna say the Nats are actually not the Nats. It's the Montreal Expos, and you stole them from us. From us. Let's do the first story, Jason. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so this is a this is an extremely good beef. It's one of the best beefs of uh, of recent memory in the hacking world, I think. So I think it's well, it's it's one of the best like like over the like over the counter chill beefs, like re, like not like like black hat hackers or like the you know like the U.S. government versus the DNC. This is just like 
This is just great. It's almost it's, old, it's school extremely, old school hacking beef. Extremely passive aggressive, but aggressive aggressive yeah. beef. Yeah, exactly. I love so, it. It's beef nonetheless. Uh, so Moxie Marlin Spike, who's the CEO of Signal, published a blog post last week in which he hacked into a Celebrite device. So Celebrite is famously a, a device used to extract data off of phones uh, in some cases, it's able to unlock iPhones uh, that are encrypted. And in December, Celebrite posted a blog post explaining how they believe that they could um, that they could circumvent signal encryption, which is kind of like that's wrong because what they were able to do was to capture a message at its endpoint. They weren't breaking signals encryption. They were just grabbing messages off of a phone that they had unlocked. In any case, this like pissed off Moxie who also, we should note that celebrate is, is well used by police forces all over the world. Right. Yes. Famously used by just like the FBI, local local police, like yes, huge, um, used by hundreds and hundreds of departments. I believe at least dozens. Yes. And, and internationally as well. And so Moxie posts this blog post and he's like, there's massive security vulnerabilities in Celebrite. Um, and by the way, it would be very easy for me to insert some code into, into signal, into the signal app that would fuck with Celebrite devices anytime that cops tried to use them on a phone that had signal installed. Um, which is really badass, and the whole thing was written like pretty. Uh, it's it's quite the fuck you, I gotta say. Yeah, and and the whole <laughs> thing was like, it certainly would be a shame if something were to happen to your hacking device. You know, it's like, first of all, Moxie, like, I, I don't know if I buy this particular passage. Um, he says, "Oh yeah, this is this one is like it's this." He is says, great. "quote." By a truly unbelievable coincidence, I was recently out for a walk when I saw a small package fall off a truck ahead of me. As I got closer, the dull enterprise typeface slowly came into focus. Celebrite. Inside, we found the latest versions of the Celebrite software, a hardware dongle designed to prevent piracy, tells you something about their customers, I guess, and a bizarrely large number of cable adapters, end quote. Uh, I'm not sure if I buy that Moxie happened yeah, to find a Celebrite I, device yeah. fall off a truck, but you know, very, very, uh, fortunate for him. Yeah. I mean, I believe he's, uh, he's invoking the, the mafia line for when they are caught with stolen goods. <laughs> yeah. This is also how like iPhones, uh, like iPhone prototypes leak and stuff. They're like, Oh, it, uh, fell off the back fell of the truck. truck, fell off a truck. Yeah. It's like what yeah. these trucks, you know, you'd think that someone would close the back of them, but you know, yep. who can say, who can say. So any, but I in any case, like Moxie is like, we can fuck with your shit. Don't, don't, I mean the, the subtext of this is like, we can fuck with you. Don't fuck with us. Like, and the, the thing that I really like about this is Moxie is the CEO of Signal. Like, this is not some yep. random security researcher. This is, it's not the exact same thing, but it's like, to me. I do, I do like how he kind of like brushed off his hacking skills or, or at least like, that's what it sounds like. And was like, oh, no, no, no. Don't fuck with our shit because I'm going to come back at you. Yeah, to me, it's like if Mark Zuckerberg like dropped an O-Day for TikTok in a public Facebook yeah, blog yeah. post or something. It's like, 
That's and good. That's, like, good. That's you, a good analogy. You don't have CEOs dropping O days very often, which is, it's no. just, it's sick. No. So we, we learned this week, the quick update to that, we learned this week that Celebrate has updated its software for these devices, but uh, it doesn't actually fix the vulnerability. It just makes it like the attack surface a little bit less. So it's like, this seems to be like quite a serious vulnerability that Moxie found. And like, there's going to be more to come from this, I think. Well, it's just wild that like, I don't know, that the Signal CEO actually came out with this. And also it's just, I don't know, it's like, it's, it's like a rat beef. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the very last thing that we need to say about this, I think is like, this was a zero day. Um, and normally when people in polite society find zero days, meaning CEOs of companies, researchers, et cetera, they uh, do like a responsible disclosure situation and inform the company like quietly and ask them to fix it. And then they publish their research after the fact. That's not what happened here. Moxie found it and publicly published not the entire details, but like an, a lot of detail, a lot of details about the zero day with no warning. It, it was, and he was like, it was a, it was a clap back though, to be fair. Like he, he did what, what most, comp most security researchers don't do is name and shame the opposite company. But to be fair, Celebrite had used signal as sort of this crutch as a, as a way to make it seem its products even better than than they were. Right, right. right. So, and I, I mean, he said like, you know, I'll responsibly disclose the next one if you stop fucking with our shit, um, which is really, it's funny. It's good. It's really good. This is good. It's, it's, a, it's a great story. Yeah. Now, this next one reminds me of when I was a kid in school. And Jason, imagine that. I was once a child uh, with wonderment and went to school. But it's about what, what schools do to block what their kids can actually search on, on school computers, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, I had this in high school. Like, I, I there's mm -hmm. filtering and monitoring software that when you're on... There's always ways around it, but yes. Yeah. So, so two quick things. Like, one, uh, I believe it works on the school's Wi-Fi or mm -hmm. on the school's computers. I, I don't remember, like I didn't have a laptop at that time, but I was using school computers and it's like, it blocked a bunch, it blocked like E-bombs world and like game sites and like MySpace yeah. and shit like that. And it's like, there was always a way around it. Um, I forget what our software was called, but it's like, we were able to use what was called tunneling software to get around this. And like, anytime a tunneling software was broken, was, uh, was blocked, like a new one popped up and we were able to get around this stuff. So that that's to say like schools are surveilling what kids are using like what what they're browsing on school networks which is which seems i mean it seems like kind of you i'm not totally upset that they do that but this is the cuz i mean you don't want crazy stuff on Web, uh, websites everywhere all the time. I, I'm like very anti-surveillance in general, but as far as surveillance goes, it's like pretty yeah. basic stuff. It's yeah, like a you're kind of like, well, what are you going to do? Have, a lot of workplaces have stuff like this too. It's like- and, and It's not safe for work, right? So you have like that stuff. So I, I guess what I'm not so much, I'm just not surprised they have them. However, what they're surveilling, what they're allowing and not allowing, not so in this particular case is, uh, seems very- <laughs> Uh, yeah. So th this specific company <laughs> to put it, um, to put it to put it nicely. Well, actually, there's a few in, named in our story, but like one of them is called this company Bark, um, and it's a filtering software, and it blocks LGBTQ plus um, websites 
that uh, it's like health websites and like LGBTQ rights websites and racial justice websites and like gun control websites. And it's like, it flags them as porn. Um, and at the same time, it does not flag the websites slash emails slash like uh, naming and research of white supremacy and known neo-Nazi groups, mm-hmm. uh, which is extremely bad, obviously. It, it, well, extremely, like you, you want to talk about like, you know what I'd rather kids see versus uh, Nazi? Like I'd rather them see porn than than like these radicalization sites. Like almost anything else. The KKK yes. or the base or Adam White. Yeah, it's like almost anything else because this is the stuff that that we don't want kids to see because this is the rabbit hole they go down or at least some of them do. Uh, and then they end up in my articles. But I, I think like it, it also just sort of speaks to America's this. Kind of, I mean, this reminded me of the work that Sam does and the conversation I ha- have with her all the time, just the fears around what like mainstream society sees as porn or, or, or different from them, including LGBTQ plus health sites right are, are, it's are, like, are villainized are villainized versus like extreme violence <laughs> and it right. just it does not make sense and it's like teens and and students in general like yeah you know often need that sort of thing because they're exactly. not getting they're not getting it from their schools because like sex ed is so mm. bad in this country um and, and not so, to mention some of these kids don't have don't have great internet at home and this is like their one opportunity to to use a computer and get some information that they need right and and i think um to be clear it's like as far as surveillance software goes like browsing on the school network is as i said like it's just not it's not as bad in my opinion although still not for it uh, as like facial recognition and object detection and all that sort of thing at the same time it's like and, and especially companies like Proctorio that are like these test monitoring softwares that we've found are like really bad through a lot of stories we've done during the pandemic. But it's like the companies in this space are mm-hmm. not, they're not particularly sophisticated. They're not particularly good. They're, they're very expensive. Like they, they cost a lot of money and they, mm-hmm. they sell like essentially like broken products to schools for really like outrageous sums of money and like schools don't have a lot of money in the first place and they get this false sense of security because it's like well they bought this newfangled tech and this tech like almost never works as it says it's going to work and it's just like it's a big disaster in my opinion i think it's a total disaster uh and it it, i guess the other thing too is it just reminds me as i said of being a, a kid in high school and and how there was always always these filters, and we just found ways around them anyway. Yeah, and it's just, it's like it's almost like I got I understood why there there are filters, but like also they're stupid. People get around them, and then also they're inconsistent with what they can what they block and don't block, and often they're completely wrong in how, how they actually implement that. Yeah, I mean, I think this quote from Chris uh, Gilliard, who we talk to all the time, um, he's an anti-surveillance guy who focuses on schools in, in particular and facial recognition and things like Ring. He said, quote, it's the same story over and over. A company makes inflated claims about what it can do and somehow manages to not only not do the thing it claims to do, but also keep out legitimate pursuits. And it's like, that's, that's that exactly kind of nails it. it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty much that wraps that one up. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So this next one, uh, obviously, we cover 
delivery driver issues very closely here at Motherboard. And it's about how delivery drivers are using gray market apps. Yeah, uh, yeah this one's really cool. I, I really like this story. Um, it's focused on a company called Gojek, which is Indonesia's most popular food delivery app. Um, they're based in Indonesia, but they have... Um, the grub hub of Indonesia. Yeah, they, they operate in Singapore, Vietnam, and Thailand. And like, you know, it's millions and millions and millions of people. Um, they're worth $10 billion, according to, I don't know, some sort of valuation. And basically, it has the same problems as Uber and every other delivery app where people are underpaid. The apps often are like broken. They're, the delivery drivers have to like accept deliveries without kind of like knowing where they're going before they click accept or how much money they're going to get. So like there has cropped up the these third party gray market, uh, like hacked and modified apps, versions of the Gojek app. And they uh, give drivers features that, that the official app doesn't have. So for example, Gojek in particular will give the order to the person, like the delivery driver who's closest to the restaurant um, in question. Um, the, the issue here is like Indonesia and in, in, in some parts of it, very crowded place, like lots of motorbikes, lots of traffic. And so you have this system where it's like you have hundreds or, or like dozens of um, of delivery drivers trying to get the closest to a popular restaurant. And they're like literally fighting with each other to become like very close to that, to the, to the center of where the app wants them to be. And there's like physically not space to do it. And so they're basically like GPS spoofing to put their pin uh, directly at the, at the place where they'll get the most orders and then they'll wait somewhere that's more convenient. And this is like not bad for anyone really because uh, you don't want like hundreds of delivery drivers like jockeying for position in like a crowded public square. You want them waiting like nearby and then when they get a ping you especially can... during a pandemic <laughs> yeah exactly and then so there's that there's also features in this where they're able to determine like how much money they're going to make from a specific order and to auto decline orders that are like not very lucrative um which is something that delivery drivers all over the world have been asking for for a really long time and so um this is just it's a really cool story because uh, you know, you have sort of the ingenuity of these third-party gray market modified apps, um, like contrasted with the official apps, which are not very good um, and and don't solve these problems. I think to Gojek's credit, uh, it seems like they've taken some of the features from these apps and have implemented them in the official app. But at the same time, it's like the drivers seem to prefer these um these third-party apps because they're they're simply better. Well, question: Do you, is, is this a problem that drivers here face, and do they use any kind of like knockoff apps in the U.S.? It's definitely a problem that uh, drivers here face, especially. So, so two things. I think one, I don't know of any specific third-party Uber apps that like allow drivers to like not use the official Uber app for example, like that connects to Uber's API or whatever. But there are like third-party tools that that you can use in concert with the Uber app that can kind of like provide some of this information. And I believe we had a story a few weeks ago that there was like an old version of 
I think it was Postmates, but it may have been Grubhub. It's one of the delivery apps that like had a feature that was eventually patched out that allowed drivers to see how much like to see how much uh, they were going to get paid for any given order. And I think it was I think it allowed them to see the tip that they were going to get before they accepted the order, because that's what like when you order from Grubhub or whatever, you have to put that in. Uh, and so if you're going to get a big tip, you're going to take that order. If the tip says zero, like you're not going to take that order. And there was like an old version of an Android app for, I believe, Grubhub that displayed this to drivers. And like, there's now a black market for that old version of the app, um, which is pretty cool. So they can kind of like decipher whether or not they want to take an order. Exactly. Yeah. So um, go, this Gojek uh, situation is like the most sophisticated that we've seen, I think, but it's definitely a problem here in the U.S. too. Like the same problems it solves for the delivery drivers have the same problems here in the U.S. Hmm. Yeah, this is a really interesting story. Well, that uh, that puts that puts an end to Cipher for this week, Jason, and your glorious return. It's good to be back. And now that I set my mic up again, maybe I'll maybe I'll come back again if if you're lucky. Ooh, maybe yeah. I'll make an appearance on a real like you're you're the real interview. You're the centerpiece. I gotta do. I gotta write a good story. You know. <laughs> All right. I'll talk All to right. you later. Farewell. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.